0: Welcome to Revenue Champions. I'm Alice. And I'm John. We interview leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs in the B2B space, giving you the inside tips, tricks, and hacks for you to grow and scale your B2B business today. Hello, and welcome to Revenue Champions. Um, I'm Alice DeCourcy, and I'm the host for this episode. Um, this is the second in our Marketing Hall of Fame series, and I'm going to be speaking today with Robin, VP of Revenue Marketing at G2. We're going to be covering off everything from ABM, social proof, events, outsourcing content and much more. Um, So firstly, welcome to the podcast, Robin, and thank you so much for joining us and and you're our second Marketing Hall of Famer. Um, Some of the things that got us really excited to speak to you today are G2 Bar Intent Reach 2019 um, and the G2 Learning Hub. So it'd be great if you could kick us off, first of all, by telling our listeners who you are and what problems G2 solves and who it serves.
1: Totally. Thanks, Alice. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm excited to talk to you on the second uh second episode. Um, yeah. So I'm VP of Revenue Marketing at G2. I've been here only about six months, and I'm speaking speaking to you from uh, Brooklyn, New York. G2 is actually headquartered in Chicago, but um, since COVID, you know, a lot of the marketing team is remote, and people are being hired all over the world now. But um, yeah, only about six months with G two, but I have a long history of being in content marketing, demand generation, um, all the stuff that contributes to pipeline and revenue for SaaS companies in particular. And um, I was psyched to join G two mostly because I'm a longtime fan and power user of of G two. So I've been on the other side of G two for a long, long time. And now I get to be here talking with customers and helping marketers figure out how to use intent data and all the good stuff that G2 has
0: to offer. Amazing. And that's a great segue, actually, to kick off our first kind of question around um, intent data and what role that's actually playing in your marketing plan for G2 at the moment, how you're seeing it play out in your customers' worlds and how to utilize it better from a marketing perspective perspective, it'd be great to get your insights on that.
1: Yeah, well, intent data is one of those things that I think everyone talks about a lot. Um, I don't know how many marketing teams are are using it or, or at least, you know, kind of in a mature place with it right now. Um, the nice thing about G2 intent data is we like to say it's kind of middle of the funnel. So it really does sit nicely alongside intent data that you might get from like Sixth Sense or Bombora or some of the other um, intent data providers that are out there. Because our intent data really comes from people that are looking at your product or products on G2, your category on G2, and your competitors on G2. So these are folks that are signaling that they're really in the market doing research for a solution like um like whatever it is that that you know you're offering so um whereas i think other intent uh solution providers are really looking at signals from all over the web people searching up things on google and and things like that when folks are coming to g2 i think it really means that they're researching uh products like like yours or your category or competitors so and then the powerful thing about intent data, especially from G2, is that it's not worth much if you can't action off of it or operationalize it somehow. So G2 has like a whole world of integrations that I think a lot of marketers don't even know about. Like G2 intent data can be directly, you know, integrated with your Marketo, your HubSpot, your Salesforce, your outreach, your sales loft. Pendo, Medallia, based, Sixth Sense, Bombora. It just goes on and on. And LinkedIn matched audiences, which is one of my favorites. So there's like so much you can do with that account-based information coming in from G2. It's like very powerful to know like, hey, you know, folks at this company are looking at your category or they're looking at your profile or they're looking at your competitors. Don't you want to maybe trigger emails from Marketo or trigger, you know, outreach from sales loft or outreach or any, any kind of cadences from your SDR team. So super, super powerful stuff. If you, if you know how to use it.
0: Yeah. What's the, what would you say is like the best play that you either have seen or you use yourselves at G2 mm. when it comes to that? Cause obviously that's a whole, there's like a whole world there. Like, where do you start? Like, what's the most powerful, um, highest intent kind of play that people could get going with?
1: Well, I think sometimes people are like, especially like demand gen marketers and stuff are like, well, this is account-based data. I I need contacts. I need to be able to, you know, email contacts in Marketo. So um, one of the most powerful things you can do is just set up the LinkedIn matched audience connector with G2 and start retargeting, those accounts that are, that are looking at you. So um, one thing that I really like to do is kind of map a content strategy to the intent signal. So a real life example would be, Oh, they're looking at your category. Maybe it's not the right moment to like shove a demo request in front of them, but maybe it is the right moment to educate them on the category and give them content on what even is intent data and how can marketers use it today and um, use LinkedIn lead gen forms to capture their data. And so now you're retargeting at the account level, but you're getting contacts to kind of like fill out a form and drop into your database for um, reaching out. If they're looking at your product, your, your profile on G2, Um, or your competitors, it's probably a pretty good indication that they know who you are, or they're deeply doing research on your, on your offerings. And so that's usually a good moment to put a demo request in front of them, like serve, retarget them on LinkedIn. You can target the whole marketing team at Cognizant, for example. And, um, you know, put relevant content in front of them, get them back to your website, get them to request a demo, which um, when we're talking about a very middle of the funnel audience makes sense i i'm not I'm not all about like putting lead gen forms in front of people that are just doing you know light research or they're looking to educate themselves, but at the point where they're really researching solutions and signaling that they're in market then um, yeah, you you totally should get them to a demo or raise their hand and say they want more information.
0: Amazing, that's really helpful. Um, And then a a question that I have as well around like product marketing specifically Mm -hmm. at G2 because your product marketing team is awesome. Like we see a lot of the work that they do and I think um, I'm just really interested to kind of dive into a little bit of like what the strategy there is. Like how do you approach product marketing at G2 Um, let's say like a specific product update or launch, like what's, how does that work and operationalize at G2?
1: Yeah. So our marketing team is, is set up. So um, there's kind of three distinct teams in marketing at G2. We all, so I report up to our CMO, Amanda, who's also awesome. And then there's Palmer who heads up the uh, brand and communications team. And then there's product marketing, which is headed up by Alina and me, Palmer and Alina are all very strongly aligned and connected. And we meet with Amanda regularly. And so, you know, I feel like my job is kind of a demand gen person or a growth marketer or revenue marketer, whatever you want to call us, where we answer to the same uh, names. Our team is, is responsible for um, marketing source pipeline, Um, Alina's team, the product marketing team, is really responsible for product enablement and adoption and, you know, just giving our customers like the best possible experiences and really aligning closely with the, the product team on the engineering side of the house. So when we know, for example, that we have a release coming out like the ABM release we had a couple of months ago where we had integrations for Bombora, for Sixth Sense, for Triblio um, and Rollworks, like all releasing at the same time. Our product marketing team aligns with, you know, marketing on the sides of our partners and we come up with what do these campaigns look like? And I think really before G2 had much of a revenue marketing presence, they were doing a lot of that themselves, just kind of figuring out okay, we're going to do these email sends, we're going to do this outreach to customers, this outreach to prospects. And now that the revenue marketing team is here and really growing and and building out our marketing ops function, they're partnering with us a lot more, especially on the prospect side to make sure that we're actually telling our prospects about these important releases and integrations. And then they focus more heavily on the customer side to make sure... Our customers are aware like, hey, did you know you could integrate with Rollworks now? And here's workshops and useful content for you to, to get in there and get going. So they really kind of move the needle around customer retention. And we move the needle around like making sure our prospects know the value of these things and how they can get them or if they need to upgrade. Here's how you upgrade to get there and all that good
0: stuff. Amazing. Well, that takes me nicely on to the next question, which is obviously you're in charge of like the revenue marketing function. And so I'm interested in, I know you touched on the top leading metric that you're, you're going to be measured against, but what other metrics does your team track and like what leading or lagging indicators actually make you take action, um, to, yeah, to kind of, oh, I guess to to alter whatever is happening or going on, um, within the funnel that you make means you need to make something change something up.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, to be totally honest and transparent, G2 G two is a great company. Um, I think almost all marketers, certainly in the U.S. and North America, and probably more so coming up now more in EMEA and APAC, know the power of G2. They know that they need to have their presence on G2. They have to drive reviews. They should be using intent data and G2 content. Um, so I think... What we do mostly on the revenue marketing team, our biggest goal is marketing source pipeline for net new business. Next year, we'll also carry a pipeline number for customer expansion and growth. But for now, um, my team is really focused on new business. And that's our number one KPI marketing source pipeline. We also look at marketing sourced revenue to make sure the kind of conversion from just from raw mql to sales accepted sql to you know opportunity and then finally revenue is is healthy we really keep like an eye on that and we look across all of our segments from smb to mid-market enterprise EMEA and apac and make sure that those metrics are all healthy where you want them to be but our number one goal is is marketing source pipeline for net new business and I don't wanna say nothing else matters, but honestly, if that number is, is pacing behind, nothing else matters. And if that number is looking really, really good, that's when we start to you know look at what else do we wanna look at? Maybe for now we're measuring marketing influence on customer growth or um, influence from big events and things like that. Um, but that's that's our number one metric that we're marching toward. And despite the fact that G2 is well-known and has a great marketing team and a great brand presence, um, where I will say we're a bit behind and building almost from scratch is our marketing operations uh, function. So we just, we just got Sarah, who joined us from Sendoso. She's amazing, and she's building out that team. And we're migrating... Um, from our HubSpot instance over to Marketo for automation and attribution. We're staying on HubSpot for CMS and landing pages and all that sort of thing. But for automation and attribution, we're going with Visible and Marketo. And and we're building that out for the rest of this quarter and probably moving into Q1 to make sure that our attribution is in place and we're able to measure accurately. And having said that, I think it's funny that I've heard a lot of um influencers and in podcasts talk about how attribution it's like becoming a dirty word. And yeah. I just yeah. I mean, real talk, I think that's such bullshit. It's like if <laughs> in, until until you're able to prove it, you have to have some way to prove it. So, and if you're not hitting your pipeline targets, you certainly do um have to focus on that through some sort of attribution model before you can move on to to other things. but um, but I do think a lot of the brand building and creating great experiences um, is super important and the whole marketing team I think that was here before me and our current CMO did an amazing job of building that brand and getting G2 out there in front of marketers that makes, Honestly, like pipeline and demand generation a lot
0: easier because you do have that brand awareness out there, which is so important. There's a definite balance there. And I think it's just one of those where people have gone to one extreme from another and there's definitely a middle ground. There always is. Mm -hmm. Um, Amazing. So that ties nicely into like how your market your organization is structured, specifically within the wider marketing organization. Because I think you've kind of given us a broader overview of that. But what does the demand gen team look like? And what are your plans for it for next year? Are there key roles and hires that you're going to be making?
1: Yeah. So on um, the revenue marketing team, we also we we have demand gen and we also have marketing operations. So some of the key recent hires have been on marketing ops, and we'll continue to build out that function with a couple of um, key hires. Sarah um, also just brought on Misha, who's amazing. And uh, we have, I think, two open roles for marketing ops, like analyst and a uh, campaign operations manager. So if anyone knows anyone. um, And we just hired uh, just now our first ever EMEA senior marketing manager for EMEA, who's joining us in late January after the holidays. Um, We're all super excited that he's joining. And and also about to close an offer to an enterprise and ABM-focused marketing manager. So the way our our revenue marketing team works is we have marketing managers focused on each segment. So SMB, mid-market, enterprise and ABM, which is the role we're just hiring for now. Uh, APAC, and we have an amazing marketer out there already, and EMEA, who we just hired, and um, and then we we're also going to be bringing on like a digital marketer who's really going to bring that function in house and focus on all of our digital ad spend across all of our channels. And um, it's interesting. I come from a background where content marketing also sat. Either in the main marketing team or on the growth marketing team, um, because obviously you need content to fuel, you know, your demand gen strategy. But at G two, content sits on the research team, so they're writing content for all the categories that are covered on thousands of categories on G two, um, and then on that team, we have one person that's kind of dedicated to developing content just for you know, our, our demand gen um, strategies. And so I think there's going to be some talk in Q1 and Q2, whether we actually do need a a dedicated content marketing resource to sit on the revenue marketing team. But I think that's still um, TBD, but I'm just so looking forward to like having true mops, you know, because I I really firmly believe your dream team is a combination of like amazing demand and growth marketers with marketing operations. And if if you don't have that and you have pipeline and revenue goals, you know what I don't I don't really know what you're doing. So
0: Amazing. Well, actually, because you have you kind of answered one of the questions that I had in terms of whether you um, run ABM plays at G2, I guess, question, do you do them now? Or is that something you're looking at for next year with the hire that you said you have made on the enterprise and ABM side?
1: Mm-hmm. I'd say we're doing baby steps now. In in no way are we doing like real ABM right now. That's going to come next year, especially after we have this person like Just quickly
0: can. on that. Could you define what you mean? Because I guess this is, I think this is an interesting debate, right? Like when you say baby steps, ABM versus like real ABM, it'd be great to dive what your thoughts are on those.
1: Yeah. I think my thoughts aren't, you know, unique or special. I think they're probably right up there with everybody else's thoughts on ABM. But what we're doing now, when I say baby steps is we're building that alignment with sales. So I work really closely with our head of, you know, enterprise sales, who heads up all the AEs for that segment. And it always starts with a list, like, let's, let's just look at who kind of the top accounts are. Um, We have enterprise, and then we have kind of our tier A accounts, you know, within enterprise. And then you go through the exercise of looking at Who do you already have in the database? And do we need to enhance our, you know, account and contact list? So a lot of that foundational groundwork is happening now. And then once we have those lists, we're doing very basic, you know, one-to-many type. Let's target these accounts on LinkedIn. Let's run RuleWorks, display advertising. Let's do very focused email outreach. Um, We're not doing any, you know, field-type specific ABM events where we invite only our top prospects and top customers, but that'll come next year. So I'd say it's really the foundational groundwork around account and contact building in our own database. And it's very much like one-to-many type outreach that's running right now. And then when we get to phase two and beyond, it'll be very one-to-few, one-to-one, hyper-customized type outreach direct you know mail sends events that are you know really just for our you know top accounts or enterprise accounts where they have massive marketing teams and they really need like one to one help from G2 on how to build like how to get your marketo integration up and running and how to build out lead scoring or how to prove out the value of intent data where we're able to offer that type of um kind of like very custom white glove one-to-one type um, outreach for those accounts.
0: Amazing. I think that kind of brings us nicely onto this next question, which I'm really interested in, because you kind of touched on a bit of the movement that's going around, which is um, kind of moving away from this whole focus on everything being measurable and attributed um, and actually like more brand play and those types of initiatives. And it kind of ties into this movement um, kind of spearheaded by Chris Walker about the dark, dark social and dark funnel, and focusing on demand generation over like more traditional forms of lead generation. Mm-hmm. What what's your your take on on all of that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I I watch his content. I think he's he's awesome and in rad, and I and I definitely like believe you know believe in a lot of what he's saying for sure. Um, it's interesting, you know, for me, I've you know, I've been around tech marketing for a really long time. I don't want to say how long, but let's just say a really long time. So before we were talking about things like ABM, you know, when I think back to some of my early marketing roles what were we doing? We were doing a ton of PR. We were writing a lot of press releases. We were doing a lot of swag. We were working really closely with sales to, you know, make sure that they had everything they needed, materials and content and fun swag to go when they were talking to their, you know, special accounts. We we had no term for ABM. It was just marketing back then. Um, we didn't have marketing automation. We didn't have attribution. We were really just trying to get the brand story out there across, you know, print media in some cases, online media, um, even like TV and radio media out of home type stuff is what we were doing. And and it made it much easier when, you know, you would have an event to get people to actually come because they knew who you were. They were fans. When sales would go call on these accounts, they already had that like awareness and so I I definitely believe in the power of, you know, the brand side of marketing. And sometimes now having been through the whole, I feel like, world of like the dark ages to the birth of marketing automation and attribution to kind of today, where I feel like we might recognize a little bit that we swung too far um, with our tech stack and attribution, where you really do need um, that that happy medium of, of both. And a lot of, I'd say, high growth SaaS companies, like the one I came from, I loved it. And I thought the marketing team did a phenomenal job, but we did not have like a brand or PR team at all. It was all just us like rolling heavy rocks up the hill constantly, like with, with little brand awareness. And, and that makes the demand gen job a lot harder, frankly, and a lot more like, you know, you got about two years of doing this before you see diminishing results on your yeah. email sends on all the, you know, your LinkedIn ad spend, all this stuff that we do. Um, you have to have some kind of like wind beneath your wings or it's just, you know, it's not going to happen. And, and influencers and happy mm-hmm. customers that are out there talking about you, um, you need all of it. For sure.
0: Amazing. Well, that leads me on nicely onto this next question, actually, one of my favorite questions. So, if you had an extra 10,000 pounds to invest in your marketing team in any way next year, how would you use it?
1: So, what is that about? Um, thousand oh, probably... dollars
0: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> good grief. Um, well, I guess you know you could throw it into the big vacuum known as LinkedIn ad spend, but it wor- it can work if you if you do it well because you can be hyper targeted at at you know exactly who you want to be getting your content. But I I wouldn't put it there. Um, it's not enough for like a real huge out of home campaign. I would. Here's what I would do. Here's what I would do. I would put it into. Really compelling video content and putting it on YouTube and just doing super fun and engaging, like bite-sized pieces of content that really help marketers um, figure out how to like d- what they should be doing with intent data, what they should be doing with some of the more powerful parts of their stack. Strategy in general, I would just do. I would I would put it into a YouTube channel. G two already has a YouTube channel, but I don't think anyone's um, doing much with it, but it's definitely on our radar for next year. Yeah, I would take that 17K, 20K and build some really compelling um, real talk type content and get it out there on YouTube. That's what I would do. You'd Chris Walkerize it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, except I think he's he's very active. He's sort of LinkedIn influencer. Yeah, stees and that's and that's like great. I get it because that's where your audience is. But um I really like the idea of doing more with uh with YouTube and getting found especially since Google mm-hmm. owns YouTube. It it's yeah. great for like SEO and um search engine marketing and and I just really like it as a as a channel. I think a lot of people are there, and
0: yeah, we're all about underpriced attention. Would you say that that could potentially be one place where you might find some underpriced attention?
1: Yeah, for sure, yeah. absolutely. I and we worked on this at my previous company. Um, it was called Better Cloud, and and our target audience was IT people. And we we're like, wait, why don't we have our own IT people do a YouTube series? where they talk about things that IT people care about. And some of it's about our product and really a lot of it is not about our product, but we were lucky that we had two fabulous IT people that could create amazing content. And so we would just do like 10 to 15 minute videos and then um, they would record it over Zoom. And then we would hand it off to these cool kids in Brooklyn to, to put in like really rad, like effects and like flying, you know, cats and pizza and turned it into like the Tim and Eric, you know, awesome show and, um, and put it on YouTube and it kind of, you know, had its own sort of cult following. And I also like how YouTube sends notifications to your followers anytime there's new content. So it's, I think for B2B SaaS marketers, a pretty underused channel. And, and that's where, that's where I would put my, 17 amazing. to 20k
0: <laughs> amazing we always wish we could have more mm-hmm. so if you were building a marketing team from scratch like what would be um your, your day one in you've got some budget for two marketing hires what who would you hire in what positions and why
1: i would hire um a demand gen person and i would hire a mops person and the reason I think you know that goes against what a lot of people say about product led growth and having somebody who's more product focused. Um, no offense to them. but I feel like what you get in a great you know growth marketer or demand gen marketer is somebody who's not only capable of understanding the product and the market um, and the audience, but then actually understands, the channels and how to get the message out. I feel like product marketers are are great for sure, but they don't always have the strongest understanding of how to kind of get the message out there. And, um, and I feel like as growth marketers and demand gen folks, you know, it's like if you put a goal in front of us, we will go there. We will figure out like, you know, how much budget do I have to spend? What channels should I be going out there on? How can I build a list of the right people? How can I leverage all the tools in my stack to do this? And so that's what I would do. And I would get a MOPS person to help you kind of like make sure it's all working. And that if you're trying to pass folks over to an SDR team or whatever, if you don't have that, um, you know, good luck.
0: Yeah, I mean, I like that. And I think ultimately as well, in the early days of any company, or like marketing team, the demand gen great person should be able to do a lot of that product marketing piece anyway, and they need to be able to. And you're going to be very much closer to product than you are when, say, you scale your team. Right. You know. Right. Much bigger. Right. Amazing. Um, okay, so I want to ask this question. This is like the question I always end on because I know you have a hard stop. So, um, what would you tell marketers to start, stop, and continue? What would be your advice?
1: Stop, start, and continue. This is a fun exercise um I'd say, uh stop being like so precious over your your tech stack and your and your attribution i know i've I've sung the praises <laughs> of all that, but don't let it get in the way of actually doing things and trying things and if you can't, if you don't have perfect, you know, like attribution and dashboards and reports, forget about it. It's it's more important that you do the things, and you you start to tell the stories that are important to your audience. Um, and you know the rest will kind of follow. I mean, assuming you have a product that people want, and and there's product market fit, start um telling that story to the relevant audiences, and in the, the rest you can kind of like worry about later. Um, so yeah, stop stop being so precious over that stuff. Um, start uh, being, you know, go back to your creative selves. Um, I hate to like reference the show Mad Men because it's problematic in so many ways. But I mean, agonize over every word, you know, think about like the the hooks and the things that will actually cut through the noise and be a marketer again. Like, be a creative person and embrace that part of yourself again. Continue, uh, continue the the crazy hustle, especially if you're if you're in one of the high growth like SaaS companies. Continue being the the badass hustler that you are, and um, I think it's so so important, and I think it's what makes us different than you know kind of the. The marketing team that works at oracle or you know ibm or something no I certainly no, no shade on that i've i've worked for oracle there's a lot to be said for having like the the incredible power of a massive company behind you and the brand but um but if you're in you know high growth mode uh yeah embrace continue to embrace the hustle and and be amazing and figure out ways to get there
0: Amazing. Thank you so much. That is, It's been great to talk to you, Robin, and hear about all the great things that you're doing at G2 and um, what you're going to be doing next year as well. So it's great to have you as our second Hall of Famer. And thank you so much. Um, yeah, it's been very informative.
1: Cool, thanks, so Sorry, Alice. and that's my
0: dog in the background.
1: <laughs> I've, I've got a 10-year-old, same, same difference.
0: <laughs> thanks so much. This episode of Revenue Champions was brought to you by Cognizant. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast to get notified when the next one goes live. And follow Cognizant on LinkedIn and Twitter for more sales and marketing content. If you're listening on Anchor, you can leave us recorded questions or comments by hitting the message button below the title. We actually love hearing these. And if you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends and share it online. We want to get the word out about Revenue Champions so we can bring you the best podcast possible. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.